Well, please open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14. We are in the middle of the upper room discourse uh, in the book of John. This is the time that Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death and his departure. Now, the weightiness of Jesus' last words to his disciples cannot be overstated. He loves them, and he wants to prepare them for the time that they will serve without him. Now, when you face a very difficult task, what is the very first thing that you do? Do you plan? Do you prepare? Do you pray? Well, there are times when the task that God has called us to do feels greater than we can even imagine, particularly when we feel the resistance of our own flesh from the world and from the devil, and we can get easily discouraged. Now, the Lord will often bring us to a place when we just simply say, Lord, I can't. And then the Spirit within us reminds us that He can. Well, that is the place that the disciples find themselves, and it's the place that we need to find ourselves for us to grasp what is going on in this particular text of Scripture. Jesus is going away, and these disciples were distressed and clueless about what they would do without their Lord. And so Jesus speaks the most clearly in all of the texts in John about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, so far in the book of John, Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in chapter 3 about being born of the Spirit. He spoke very briefly about the Spirit in chapter 7, but now Jesus fully introduces the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We need to learn that Jesus gave us his Spirit to manifest himself through our obedience. Jesus gave us his Spirit to manifest himself through our obedience. Now, we can't obey God in our own strength. The Spirit can. And so we will learn, first of all, that the Spirit empowers us to know truth. Second, to keep commands. And thirdly, to control fear. So if you would follow with me in John 14, we'll be reading verses 15 to 31. This is the word of the living God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, 
and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me will not, does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you, will have, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Let's pray together. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Most of you know uh, that I did not grow up in church but came to faith in Christ uh, in my late teens when I was 19. Uh, for those of you that are newer, you may not know that I had very long blonde hair down to the middle of my back. Very hard to guess uh, now. Um, but at the time that I came to Christ, I was so hungry for the Word of God that I got involved in like four different Bible studies uh, over that summer. And one of the Bible studies was the one that was the closest to my house, and it just so happened to be full of a bunch of seasoned saints uh, that were very dear, uh, all of them with white hair in their 70s and 80s, and then me, the 19-year-old with the long blonde hair. So if you can imagine that situation. And you know, they would ask different questions, and I wasn't really sure how to answer those questions because I knew nothing. And so I would tell them that. I said, I, I've just started learning about these things. I really don't know the answer. And so one of the guys trying to encourage me said, you know, I've been in church my whole life, but it's only recently that I came to understand uh, the gospel myself and, and to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And in absolute seriousness, I said to him, just in time, Yeah, I made eight friends very quickly uh, with that comment, not knowing why they were laughing so hard until I realized how it sounded to him. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, it is possible to gain a head knowledge about Christianity and yet not actually turn from our sins and trust Jesus Christ alone as Lord and Savior. It's possible. Dr. R.C. Sproul tells a very similar story about his wife, Vesta. They had been dating since high school, but went to different colleges. And so R.C. came to faith when he was in college, and uh, he and his girlfriend were going to take a uh, trip home. And so uh, she decided to visit him uh, at his college before they made their way back home. And uh, when she was there for that day, there was a Bible study that they were having. And uh, during that Bible study, the gospel was presented and this girl, who had grown up in church her entire life, transferred her trust to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. 
She told R.C. that now I know who the Holy Spirit is. I knew about him from the Apostles' Creed and from the preaching that I've heard, but now I know him personally. She came to know God because of the inward work of the Holy Spirit. And so we learn first that only by the Spirit can we know truth. Verse 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, how do you think that sounded to the disciples? Didn't they already know the truth of God's commands? I mean, the Jews had heard God's commands and taught them to their children for almost 1,500 years. The disciples were not ignorant about what God required. But Jesus reminded the disciples of what it says in Deuteronomy when he said in Matthew 22, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus wanted the disciples to know that love for God and love for others is the summary of all of God's law. Love is at the heart of obedience. But notice that Jesus did not say, if you love me, you should keep my commandments. He didn't say should. He said you will. It's a promise. Our text today is filled with promise after promise of what Jesus will do by the power of his Spirit. But how could Jesus promise that we will keep his commands? No one can keep God's law perfectly. Jesus is the only one to ever live the perfect life. We break all of God's commands every day. Well, this goes back to what Dr. Beeky read earlier from Ezekiel 36. He says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. As God's people, we can't obey God perfectly by the power of our own flesh, but by the spirit we can grow in grace. We can put off the flesh. We can put on the Spirit as the Spirit enables us. We cannot obey in our own power, but by the Spirit, He does empower us. Now, consistent with this prophecy in Ezekiel, Jesus teaches them what will happen in the future by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know Afterwards, it's the day of Pentecost that he's referring to. But he says in verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Did you notice that the gift of the Holy Spirit is actually an answer to Jesus' prayer? Jesus says, I will ask of the Father, and God grants that prayer so that we are not left alone. Jesus kept his promise to never leave us because he dwells with us by his Spirit. 
who is called in this text the helper. Now, the Greek word that is translated there, the helper, is a very potent word that is not very easy to translate into English. Some of you have maybe different translations than the ESV, and it might say counselor, comforter, advocate, intercessor, or defender. All of these are accurate. Not one of them can actually sum it all up, the potency of that particular word, but because helper is the most general incorporating all of those, the ESV translators chose helper. Now, this helper is only for believers. Jesus wants us to know that the world cannot receive biblical truth because they are spiritually dead. Only when the Spirit comes and raises the dead soul to life and then gives them faith will they know truth and then believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only when the Spirit initiates salvation can a dead sinner come to faith in Jesus. And so Jesus says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, the spirit of truth dwelled in Jesus, and so the spirit was with the disciples the whole time in Jesus. But soon, during the day of Pentecost, the spirit would dwell in them too, right? Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But how can we be certain that the Spirit of God is dwelling in my heart and in your heart? I don't want anybody leaving here without the opportunity to know the Holy Spirit personally. And so there's three ways that the Spirit works in people's hearts to bring them to saving faith. We learn from the New Testament that the Spirit is the only one who will convict you of sin by the truth, right? All humans have a conscience, and that conscience may cause you to feel guilty when you sin. Even unbelievers can feel guilt, but our conscience is not perfect. Our conscience can become calloused. Our conscience can be hardened against the commands of God, which is spoken of in Romans 1. So only the Spirit can convict a sinner that his behavior is actually rebellion against a holy God. And it's only the Spirit that can even make us care at all by giving us the fear of the Lord. The Spirit of truth also calls you irresistibly to faith in the truth of Christ. If someone has been raised from spiritual death and he puts his faith in Jesus Christ, right? That person is put in a place to hear the gospel first. Maybe it's a parent or a Sunday school teacher or a friend who's sharing the gospel with you. Maybe you hear the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus preached from the pulpit. Maybe you're just spending time reading God's word by yourself. Maybe it's all of these methods and more that the Spirit uses, but the Spirit then gives ears to hear and a heart to believe the good news. Then as someone who has confessed their sin and has turned away from that sin in repentance, the spirit of truth will then comfort us with the truth of assurance of our salvation. Now, we're not perfect, and we won't be until Jesus comes back or we're taken up 
to glory after death. But we can still believe the promise of Jesus who said in John 5, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Is that you? Have you passed from death to life and trusted Christ alone as your Lord and Savior? Well, all three of these truths applied to all believers in all ages because that's how the Spirit works to bring people to saving faith. It has always ever been faith in the Messiah, either the Messiah that's to come or the Messiah who has already come. And so the promise Jesus is offering is not about salvation, right? That's what the Spirit accomplished already in their hearts, but it's about the empowerment that the Spirit would bring so that they would fulfill all the things that Jesus is commanding. So for those who have already trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, salvation is just the beginning, The Spirit, as Ezekiel said, will then empower you to secondly keep his commands. Verse 18 says, And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Jesus has compassion on his disciples. He loves them with an everlasting love. He told them he is going away, but he doesn't want them to feel abandoned. He promises to come to them and to unite them to the Father, even as they are united to him. But how? How is that possible for them to be united to the Father. Well, we know it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit who unites us to Christ by faith, and because Christ is one with the Father, we too become one with the Father and the Spirit. Now, Jesus goes back to repeating himself when he says in verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be, man, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I hope you feel the gravity of that particular promise. He's saying he's going away, but he's saying he will manifest himself to us. This is one of the most powerful promises we have from Jesus himself. In the midst of their grief and their confusion, Jesus is leaving, the Lord reassures them again that he would manifest himself to them. Now, he says it multiple times, but obviously they're not quite getting it, and so we read what Judas says in verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, John tells us, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Now, Judas was a popular name, so two of the disciples were named Judas. Judas Iscariot had already left the room back in chapter 13, verse 30. The other Judas wanted to understand why Jesus would manifest himself to them, but not to the whole world. William Hendrickson tries to paraphrase Judas, basically thinking he says, Jesus, show yourself your great power to the world. 
It may not be too late. Make an impression. Get into the limelight. Win applause. Overthrow the opposition. That was not why Jesus had come. He did not come for a short-sighted vision of just overthrowing Roman oppression. Jesus came to end all oppression that sin has ever had upon all of the people of God for all ages. That is his great salvation. So to double down on the point Jesus was trying to make, Jesus said again. He answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Judas, disciples, people of God, please understand the powerful truth that Jesus is trying to impress upon our hearts in this text. Listen, when the body of Christ, in all of our diversity, actually by the Spirit's power, obeys Jesus and does what he's called us to do, in that way we manifest Jesus to the world. God's commands are the manifestation of his own character. So when we imitate him, by the grace of the Spirit, when we reflect the holiness of God, people can see the manifestation of Jesus. Jesus will pray that this exact thing will happen three chapters later in John 17. He says in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, and here's the purpose clause, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Brothers and sisters, we cannot keep God's commands in our own strength. We can't, but the Spirit can. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God by our own effort. But as those who are loved, as those who have already received the grace of salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone, we have a faith that is a living faith. Faith. It is a faith that responds to God in obedience. And so that as we manifest Jesus in our sanctification, our love for God, our love for one another, then people can see Jesus in us. When we die to self and put on Christ, people see the Spirit's work. If they are then given ears to hear and hearts to believe, they may know and may even ask you, what's different about you? Jesus is the difference. It's the only thing you have to tell them. If you see anything different, it's, I'm hoping what you see is Jesus. But if there is nothing different about us, if we treat each other as bad or worse than the world treats each other, there is no difference for them to see. 
They will not see Jesus. And that's why the writer of the Hebrews said in chapter 12, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will what? See the Lord. Perhaps this feels like a heavy responsibility. It is. The disciples were likely overwhelmed by this as well. He knows our weakness. He knows that our default response, every time God shows up, what happens? Do not fear. Why? Because we're scared, right? God manifests himself and we're fearful. And so the disciples certainly had their fear. But by the power of the Spirit, we too can learn, thirdly, to control fear. What do you fear? Some of you in your hearts might be saying everything. Others are saying nothing, except that I don't want people to know that I'm scared. There's nothing we can do to get away from some element of fear. Jesus had taught the disciples a lot, and now he's leaving. The first fear that Jesus addresses is the fear of forgetting. So I want to ask you, what was the title of last Sunday's sermon? Are you scared you forgot? Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. I don't know. It was called Faith Not Fear. Maybe we can all go back and listen to that. But Jesus knows that his disciples can't remember everything either. Right? We're not alone. They were the same way. Jesus taught a lot of things that they likely forgot. And so Jesus tries to encourage them in verse 25. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That promise is proven by holding the New Testament in our hands. Right? The Spirit taught them. The Spirit gave them remembrance. It says that he carried them along, that the Holy Spirit carried them along as they wrote the word of God in the New Testament. So we have that glorious promise. But Jesus then addressed the fear of trouble. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now you may be wondering, how does the world give? The world gives temporarily to manipulate you to do what they want you to do. That's how the world gives. Jesus is not giving temporarily to manipulate you. Jesus is giving to you permanently that you would know his power and his grace and his love that is everlasting and to enjoy that peace that surpasses understanding. This was the verse that I read to Kaylee and Jared early in the morning just before surgery. Friends, our hearts don't need to be troubled. We don't need to be afraid because nothing surpasses God. Nothing surprises God. God cannot be overcome and God cannot be deceived. God's plan is the only plan that will ever work out perfectly and his ways are greater than our ways. We just simply need to find rest in the promises that Jesus gives us over and over again, 
so that we might have true and everlasting peace. Jesus then addresses the uh, fear of loneliness in verse 28. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now when we fear loneliness, we struggle looking at things from others' perspective. And that's what Jesus is telling the disciples. If you really loved me, you'd be happy that I'm going to the Father. Well, for those of you in this room who are mourning a believing spouse, you know that your spouse is finally at peace. And the love that you have for your spouse actually helps you to accept that they enjoying that peace gives you peace because of the love the Spirit gave to you. That is a powerful truth. Jesus can minister to us in that loss with his love. Finally, Jesus Dresses the fear of unbelief in verse 29. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do, as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus gave us these promises before they happen to strengthen our faith when they happen. Everything God ever promised is yes in Jesus Christ. Even the devil himself can't stop Jesus from loving the Father. It was the Father who asked him to go obediently to the cross. And Jesus set his gaze on the joy that was set before him, the joy of his father's love, the joy of being with his bride forevermore in the future. That's why it says in Hebrews 12, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And so when the Spirit of God gives us that same vision, looking forward to the joy that is ours of enjoying the perfection of God's love for all eternity, that joy of our Heavenly Father, the joy of our Savior, the joy of the Holy Spirit, we can face any fear when you lock on to that vision of that eternal joy. Now in that moment of greatest doubt in your life, the Spirit can shine the light of His truth that is hidden in your heart that will fan the spark of faith into flame where we just simply say, Lord, I can't, but the Spirit can. Lastly, Jesus said, rise, let us go from here. Now, this phrase has caused quite a bit of stir among the unbelieving scholars who are looking to poke holes in the Scriptures. Why? Because Jesus appears to speak for another three chapters before actually leaving in chapter 18, verse 1. But couldn't this just be a Michigan goodbye? We learned about Michigan goodbyes when we first moved here. It's an art. Generally, someone will say, in this case, Jesus, well, we should probably get going. And as they get up, maybe Jesus starts another conversation 
about the vine and the branches as they gather their cloaks and sandals. Maybe at the door he explains the work of the Spirit and the threats that are coming. And maybe feeling such urgency because what is actually about to happen, Jesus then decides to pray the high priestly prayer while they're standing at the door, and then he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley. I mean, it sounds perfectly reasonable to me, at least if you're from Michigan. My friends, the scriptures are perfect. We have no reason to doubt them. God has revealed himself by the power of the Holy Spirit to our hearts, and you got to know, you don't learn anything else today. Know that Jesus loves you and that he promised you the power of the Holy Spirit to empower you to know truth, to keep commands, and to control fear. Jesus gave us his spirit to manifest himself through our obedience so that people get a glimpse of Jesus and that we can share the gospel with them and that they might have ears to hear the glorious salvation that comes to us in Christ alone. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the incredible gift, the answer to prayer of your prayer, Lord Jesus, that the Spirit would come and that you have come into our hearts, that you would raise us from spiritual death so that we might have faith and trust in Christ and that you would empower us to do greater things than you did. Certainly not greater in quality, but greater in quantity. That your church throughout the last two millennia have been spreading your gospel across the nations. Lord, we're so grateful that you have used us in that regard. Help us to move forth in that way in our families, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, on the upcoming short-term mission trip. Lord, in all the ways that this church reaches out and supports missionaries, Lord, that your spirit would accomplish the advancement of your kingdom so that your name is glorified. Lord, work in our hearts that we would find peace and rest in Christ alone. Amen.